Hey, this is Pastor Michael Alfaro from The Calling Church. I'm so excited that you're listening to our church podcast. I pray that it blesses you and encourages your faith. Would you give a warm welcome to Pastor Josh Lotzenheiser from Church of Grace in your Belinda. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Thank you, guys. What's up, Calling Church? How's everybody doing? Hey, listen, I just want to say thank you uh, to Kareen and Pastor Michael for inviting me this morning. And uh, can we just take a moment and honor Jesus by honoring them? You have amazing pastors that have answered the call to the Lord that are reaching this city. So praise God for them. Thank you guys so much for your obedience and, and everything. And yes, I am an Angel fan and uh, it, 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 it's been more difficult than you think. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been, I was telling someone earlier, the angels are the greatest team in the entire world at remaining mediocre. Yeah, yeah. But thank you for taking Pew Holtz and he decided to start hitting once you guys got him. So whatever, he's a cool guy too. I've been trying to get him to my church. I sent him D, I slide into his DMs and stuff, you know, anyway, Anyways, I like Pew Holtz. He's a great guy. But um, anyways, thank you guys for having me. Uh, it, this, uh, this Summer of Hope series is really special. And it's funny that, you know, when I got the call to come speak here and with the scheduling and everything and how it just worked out, I really felt like uh, maybe you're watching online or you're here that, you know, God does things, his, his sovereign hand, he moves and sets up divine appointments. And I just really believe this morning, if we can, all of us, myself included, just be listening to the Holy Spirit, I believe that there's a divine moment right now where the Holy Spirit's going to set something off in you. And I believe that we are going to leave here changed. We, we didn't just come here for another Sunday service. Come on, we could be having breakfast or doing something else, you know. But we're here to hear from God. We're here to worship Him, honor Him, and hear what He's speaking to us. And so I truly believe that. And I wanted to start off with this. There was a study done recently that they said that people that do not eat bacon live 10 years longer than people that do eat bacon. That's right. 10 miserable, lifeless, pointless years. Come on to my Teresa fans. Anyways, the title of my message today is where are you? Where are you? Tell your neighbor, ask your neighbor, where are you? And we're going to start off in reading Ephesians chapter one, verse 15. And I'm reading out of the NIV translation. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may what? Know him better. Verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now notice something that's really important is you thought this whole time you saw through these eyes, but you don't see through these eyes. You actually see through them, but you see with your heart. You're seeing life and the perspective of reality based on everything that you've experienced up to this point. So God's saying, what I want you to do is I want you to know me so that I can change the perspective by which you see reality. That it's not just all those problems out there, but there's something bigger than all those problems. It's El Jefe, Yahweh, God. It says, I want you to know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, the first thing I want you to see is that hope, which we're talking about this month, is connected to your calling. 
your hope and living in hope, this anticipation and this expectation of God doing something through you and in your life, something that you are dreaming of, there is a bright future ahead of you, is connected to purpose. Some people think that when you get saved, all of a sudden God becomes this magic genie that if I rub the lamp, he shows up and fixes all my problems. God didn't show up to fix all your problems. God showed up to give you something bigger than all your problems called purpose and a calling. See, he doesn't take away the giants. He leads you to the giants to empower you to put a stone through their forehead. He doesn't leave you away from any problems and put you in a bubble and insulate you from adversity. He sends you to adversity to show the world that there is a God and that you have purpose in this life. And that's a life of hope. Hope is connected to your calling. The second thing I want you to notice is that hope comes from the foundation of everything, which is a revelation in the knowledge of who God is. Just like the sun shines and we see everything because of the light of the sun, we are to see everything in this life about my existence and everything from the light of the revelation of who God is. Everything stems from who does God say he is. And one of the key things we as Christians in in, in having integrity with scripture is that we are not allowed to project onto God what we want him to be. We can't say, God, I want you to be like this when he's not. I mean, imagine if if you're in a relationship and you tell your wife or you tell your husband, hey, this is who you are. This is who you're going to be. That's not relationship. That's control. And so many of us are trying to control God. Like, God, this is who I want you to be. So be this. And, And that's not how relationship works. Relationship works when you allow the other individual to self define. Who are you? My wife says, I like this kind of ice cream. I, I don't know why she likes chocolate, but she likes chocolate. I don't like chocolate. You know, yeah, I'm, I know I'm weird on, on that. But, but I got to let her be who she says she is. And that's called relationship where then we meet in the middle where I compromise and I, I die to self and let her be who she wants and we do what she wants to do. And that's how I've been married 10 years, okay? Because... You do that. But that's what we got to do with God. So, so of course, God, who is not just some higher power or some being that's non-personal, he's a person. He has a personality. So, of course, we have the Bible. Because this is God saying to us, hey, this is who I am. This is who I am self-defining as. So I want to go to a scripture real quick to look at what to the Hebrew people was extremely important in regards to God's self-revelation of who God said he was, his character and his nature. What can we count on? What can I expect from him? Who is this God that I worship? That's so important for us to know. And when we do, it will lead to us having hope and having purpose, having living for the future. And before I read that, though, I want to ask you the question, which is also the title, is where are you? Right now, in your mind, where are you living? You're either living in one of two places. You're either living right now in the present in your past, or you're living right now in hope for the future. See, the problem is, before Jesus came into your life, you were stuck and only lived in your past. In other words, your behaviors, the addictions, the sins, the mistakes you've made in your past, you lived in those, you lived in regret, you lived in guilt, and that kept you locked into living right now in the present in your past, which then means you are bound to just repeat it. And so you're bound in this circle, in this cycle of repeating your past, 
past because you are living in guilt of your past and you can't break through. Hope says you are not your past. You are not the things you've done. Now you are who God says you are. You aren't the things you've done. I know it's not fair, but that's the beauty of the gospel. As Jesus shows up and says, you aren't what you thought you were. You're something completely different. I'm making you born again. I'm making you a new creation. I'm giving you a new future. And so it's important that we walk by faith and believe that. But where are you living? Because if you're living in your past and your identity is what you've done, and your identity is the mistakes you made this morning. Maybe you were on your way to church and you got in a fight with your wife and you said some things you regretted. I know I've been there, right? And, it's like, and I'm like, girl, i got to preach in five minutes. Why are you getting me heated? But, but you aren't your past. But if you stay there in this place of guilt of your past, you're just going to continue repeating it. You never move on and you won't fulfill the calling the purpose that God has for you. You realize it's not okay that you don't fulfill your purpose. It is integral to the body of Christ that each of you do what you are called to do. It is integral to this church. This church is waiting for you to do what God's put inside of you because when we all come together with the gifts and the anointing that God has placed on the inside of us, this body grows up to to influence and to reach the world around us, which is God's main priority. It's his inheritance, his lost ones, leaving the 99 to go get the one. And that happens when you show up to church and say, I got gifts, let me serve. We need you. We need you to fulfill your purpose. So let's get a look at this. In the Exodus chapter 34, this is God's self-defining. I got to move a little quicker. I know I'm already talking fast, but Exodus 34 verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. This is God saying his own personal name. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. Now, what we discover here is this is God saying who he is. We're not making this up. This is God showing up to Moses and saying, hey, Moses, this is who I am. And what we discover is there's three main characteristics that God reveals. There's his mercy, which is the Hebrew word raham. It's the Hebrew word for grace and loving kindness and and the Old Testament translates this Hebrew word hased so many different ways. And then we see that he's also a, ju- a just God. He's a righteous God. And, and, and he's, he judges sin. And we, we ought to be thankful that he does. That, that not one day God's like, okay, murder's okay this year. Right? We, we, we saw that movie, The Purge, or all you sinners saw The Purge. I didn't say it. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't let that junk get inside of me. You know, but, but, but we ought to be thankful. But here's the thing about Raham mercy and Hased grace is mercy. And this is not an exhaustive definition by any means, but it does give you an idea, a a brief overview is that the mercy of God is you not getting what you deserve. In other words, you sinned and the wages of sin is death. You deserve death. And the mercy of God says, you're not going to get that. Actually, I'm going to put that on myself. I'm going to put that on my son. 
And then there's the grace of God that is you getting what you don't deserve. So not only do you not get what you deserve, sin, death, you get something even greater, you get blessing. So the moral of the story is if you sin this morning, you can expect a blessing tonight, amen? Not because of the sin or not, it's all because of the work of Jesus and the mercy of God and the grace of God on our lives. Now here in this verse, we also see that this is the first time in the Bible that this word forgiveness is used. And it's this Hebrew word that is, means, it's the Hebrew word salah. And what this word means is it removes all of the guilt and cause of alienation from your past. It assures a state of grace for the present and promises divine mercy and aid for the future. Now, I love this word. This word isn't just about the right now. This word isn't even just about covering your sins. This word is an eternal word that covers past, it covers present, and covers future. It, in dealing with your past, it says you're forgiven for all of that. In your present, you are standing in a state of grace and favor with God right now. And for future, you are assured that you will be experiencing divine mercy for the ages to come. It is an eternal word that doesn't just deal with your past. It deals with it all. Now, this is the key to moving into hope. This is the key to moving into your purpose, into your calling, is for you to divorce yourself from the mistakes of the past. To say, that is not me. Why? Because my God's nature and who he said he is, is he is a merciful God. He is a gracious God. See, the only people this doesn't do well for are those of you that think you're quite moral. You say, ah, well, I'm pretty good. I'm not as, as sinful. And Jesus says, and James says, if you broke the law in one little thing, you are considered a breaker of them all. We are all dependent upon the mercy and the grace of God. Now, I want to real quick go over four main points for us to, to leave with regarding this forgiveness that's a gift. This forgiveness from God that takes care of my past. That right now, because I'm forgiven, I'm standing in a state of grace. That means God is constantly leaning towards me in a place of favor. That he's listening to my prayers. He, he's, he's showing up when I call. He's there for me and I'm there to answer his call. We're, we're in relationship and, and, and God is not one of those barbershop gods where you sin and he turns his back. Waiting for you to say, I'm sorry. Oh, you say you're sorry. Cool, I'm back. God doesn't do that. His face is towards you always because of his grace and his mercy and his justice in sending Jesus to the cross. Point number one about this forgiveness, and you can count on God's forgiveness, is God's currency of forgiveness is blood. God's currency for forgiveness is blood. Now, I was a missionary in Thailand for several years, and I still have some of the currency in Thailand. It's called the Thai Bot. Now, imagine I walked into my local 7-Eleven store to get my trusty good old Monster Energy drink, which allows me to talk very fast in church. And I went to the cashier and I gave him some Thai bot to purchase such uh, energy drink. What would the teller at the cash register say? Sorry, sir, this currency is not accepted here. We take dollar bills, right? We take credit cards. This Thai bot doesn't work here. And we wouldn't find it very odd. We were like, of course. And yet Christians somehow find it odd when we're still trying to earn or deserve or purchase God's forgiveness with currency that isn't accepted. Yeah. 
There is only one currency that God accepts for you to be forgiven. It is not even apologies. It is not even your faith. It is not anything that you can produce. The only currency that God accepts for forgiveness is blood. And that is one thing that we can't even create or produce or have to give him because your blood is tainted. It took the precious blood of our Lord and Savior that was pure and undefiled that only God himself could provide. So where is boasting then, friends? It don't exist with us. See, you remember, see, uh, uh, we, we make faith even a work as if, as if faith, God pays us because of our faith. He's like, oh, you got faith? Cool, okay, cool. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean think about the, the, uh, the children of Israel and in, 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 in when they were being uh, delivered from slavery to Egypt. Now imagine, and, and what did God tell Moses? Put the blood on the doorposts and on the lentils, right? And when the, when the angel of death flies over and I see the blood, I'll pass over and you're going to survive, right? You guys remember that story? And so now imagine there's two families in different houses. They both put blood on the doorposts. One of them is still freaked out. They're spending the night in fear. They didn't get any sleep. The sons cried, dad, is it going to work? Is it going to work? In other words, they're not really in faith, but they obeyed by putting the blood on. But then there's another family that's confident in God's word and confident in the word that Moses gave them. And they're saying, no, Moses told us to do this. God's true to his word. Let's get some sleep. Guess what? Who got delivered? Both. Why? Because it was the blood, not their emotional state. And what I'm saying is you can live life totally forgiven now with confidence that God is true to his forgiveness and his word that you are forgiven because of the blood, not because of your good works. You can be like the family that gets sleep. In Hebrews chapter 9, it says in, in verse 22, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now watch, if you sinned in the Old Testament, one of the things that you would have to do is you would have to then bring an animal, a lamb, a ram, or pigeons if you were poor. Jesus was born in a poor family. They brought pigeons to his circumcision, or on the eighth day they brought pigeons, which means that they were pretty low on money and all that. Anyways, and so what you would do is when you sinned, you would take this animal to the priest. And you would bring it to the priest. And now you show up. The priest is not even looking at you to inspect you. He knows why you're there. Okay? He's inspecting the offering. He's going to look at what you brought. Because what's important isn't you. What's important is the offering. What's not important is your works. What's important is Jesus on the cross. And he would inspect the animal because the animal, therefore, had to be without blemish, without spot, without defect. Why? It had to be pure and undefiled, representing the coming Lamb of God, Jesus the Christ, who was perfect in every way. Sin, No sin inside. No sin outside. He was perfect and this lamb or this animal that they brought had to be spotless. And this is what the individual would then do is they would press their hands into the head of the, of the lamb. It, the scripture said they would press. And as they pressed their hands into the head of the animal, what happened was a spiritual exchange. The sin that was in them left them and went into the animal. And the innocence and purity and cleanse of the, of the animal went into them. 
And now that sin is in the animal, the animal is going to pay the price instead of them. And so God had strict instructions for the priest that even the blade that was used to kill the animal had to be so sharp to make sure and ensure that the death of the animal was quick and absolutely painless. And so then the animal would die and the person would leave cleansed. The person would leave with the innocence and the purity that was once in that animal. Now, I think about this all the time, that this animal, God treated this animal with such respect that it would be a painless and clean, quick death. And yet he didn't do that for his own son. His son didn't get the quick and painless death. When Jesus came, the scripture says a crown of thorns was put on his head. That he was whipped to where his bones were exposed. He was spat on. He was slapped. He was beaten. He carried his cross. And he hung upon that cross with nails in his hands, nails in his feet, fighting for every breath, just trying to survive. But watch this. In every Old Testament sacrifice, the sin was always greater. The sin of humanity, the sin of the nation was always greater than the sacrifice. To where at the end of the judgment, the fire would fall. The sacrifice would be completely burned up because the sin was always greater until Jesus came. And Jesus endured all of the wrath, all of the punishment, all of your sin, and yet he still remained to the point where it didn't kill him. He said, it is finished. What? You're cleansing. And then he said, I'm giving up my spirit. He's the only offering that was greater than your sin. Jesus was an overpayment, church. He was an overpayment for all of our sins. Imagine we leave and we're still carrying the guilt of yesterday. I imagine the priests in that time would say, why are you still feeling guilty? Did you not believe what we just did? And God's talking to you. Why are you still carrying the guilt of your addiction? Why are you still carrying the guilt of your past? Do you not believe what my son did? Do you not believe his words of it is finished? And that guilt will break that cycle. When you are free of guilt, it will break the cycle of addiction. It will break the cycle of sin. I am a testimony. I, for years, was addicted to pornography. I'm one of those guys, I'm, I like to break the taboos in church and talk, not talk about, let's not talk about that sin, because we all holy. Y'all know everybody's sinning in here, okay? So we on the same page. I like to break the taboos, and I like to tell you that the grace of God is more powerful than the sin you're experiencing. And if you're battling porn, if you're battling alcohol, if you're battling drug, all the, the thing that's going to keep you there is guilt. The thing that's going to free you there is Jesus and looking at him and saying, I forgive you, son. I forgive you, daughter. Walk out of here free. And you still might mess up, which leads me to my second point. God is not calculating sins against you. God does not have a ledger in heaven where, oh, there was another one today. Oh, there was three. <laughs> he has a bad day today. Look at that. Five sins today. My goodness. Gabe, go down there. Talk to him. Figure something out. You know, make him lose his job so he, he, can, he can wake up. God don't do that. He doesn't have a tally where he's keeping track of how many sins. And here's the thing what happens. We might believe that the day we get saved, we got baptized. We say, Jesus, yes, I'm going to love you. And then a week later, you're like, I didn't sin. And then all of a sudden, boom, you sinned. And now you feel extra guilty because you're like, man, I should have known better. You see, there's a lot of people not in church today right now because they sinned yesterday and they feel guilty coming to church. 
Why? Because they should know better in their mind. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you right now, you cannot ever disappoint God. Your sin did not surprise him. God does not have false expectations of you. He knows exactly what he signed up for when he sent Jesus. He knows exactly who you are. He knew that sin you would do, and yet he still came and died for you. He cannot be disappointed. We disappoint each other all the time. We have false expectations for one another, and you didn't meet it. They didn't meet it, and all of a sudden you're disappointed, you're bummed out. You can't do that with God because he's God. He's omnipotent. He's all-knowing. He knows your future. He knows the end from the beginning. He sees that sin, and he still treats you right now and says, I'm forgiving you. And you can be assured in the future when you sin, the same answer. Jesus, his blood, I'm forgiving you. He's not adding sin. Look at this. i got to move quickly in, uh, in, in Romans chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. It says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Blessed. You know that word blessed means we ought to be celebrating this. Scholar Tom Wright says, among the many glorious things about being a Christian, this will always come near the top of the list, that one's sins have been forgiven, covered over, not calculated. David celebrated that a thousand years before the events of Calvary. And Easter, the resurrection, placed it for all time on a secure foundation. How much more should we be celebrating it today? You know, when I show up to church on Sunday morning, I am worshiping God and saying, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. David said, I come into your sanctuary, hoping in the multitude of your mercies. See, if you sinned this morning, get yourself to the sanctuary. Get yourself to church. This is a place of mercy. This is a place of grace, a place of healing, where God is going to restore hope to you and break the cycle and transform you. This isn't a one-time thing. This is a continual thing. This is why it takes faith. It's why it takes continual faith. Martin Luther said, if I don't preach the gospel to myself every day, I forget. You got to preach it to yourself. You got to be that weirdo talking to yourself in the mirror, like cool runnings. What do you see? I see a power. I see. You got to talk to yourself. I'm forgiven. Not because of my goodness, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's not about me. It's about him. Pastor, I see that clock. It says, I think I have two minutes left. I don't know what time I started. Is that accurate? How much time do I have? Okay, I got two more points. I'm going to go really quick. I want to I honor and be respectful of the time. I got thumbs up back there. Does, do you guys override Pastor Michael? <laughs> Just, kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Blessings, everybody. Number three. The, I, I need you to listen. This is really important. Because I'm told all the time. Just like this. Well, you're preaching that message. It's just going to lead people out and break the world record for sin. You, you preach this forgiven. They're forgiven no matter what. They're just going to. Ladies and gentlemen, you're already sinning. You don't need a license for sin. People, the church is already making mistakes. And again, we're not disappointing God. He knows it. But the answer to sin, the answer to those bad decisions is not guilt. It's his, it's his grace. It's his forgiveness because it breaks it. I'm not addicted to porn anymore. It's freedom because I realize, wait, God's not upset at me. And all of a sudden, the weight of the world, poof. And all of a sudden, I didn't realize I had wings and I could fly, you know, it, that kind of thing. But here's what is dangerous. This message of forgiveness isn't dangerous. It's dangerous to the devil. 
But what is dangerous to our lives is guilt. And here's why guilt is so dangerous. Now, I'm not talking about godly sorrow and repentance. I'm not talking about that. That's good. If you're a jerk, you should feel bad about being a jerk, okay? Like, you're, you're a new creation in Christ. Like, you, you, you should feel, there should be someone saying, I'm not created for that. that. That wasn't me. But to live in a place of guilt, and how do I know if I'm living in a place of guilt? You'll see, because guilt creates a meritocracy system that you live in. Guilt is dangerous because it does three main things. Number one is it blinds you from the love of God. You're sitting in here, you're hearing a message about the love of God, and yet it goes right over your head. You're like, yeah, I know God loves you, but I did this. But I'm still dealing with this addiction. But I'm not where God wants me to be. But I thought God thought more of me. Number two is the guilt perverts the grace of Jesus in the gospel. And ultimately, number three, ultimately guilt makes you the center of your attention. Guilt creates a merit-based system. It's going back to the economy of God and forgiveness, the currency. As you thought works, you thought good deeds would earn it or merit it. Guilt creates a merit-based system. It makes us want to earn and deserve things. It makes us want to say, look what I've done, God, now you got to respond. Even the obedience of the Israelites in the Old Covenant, scholars are clear to point out, don't ever get it twisted and think that their obedience twisted God's arm into blessing. The blessing of God and God showing up has been, is today, and always will be by grace and grace alone. You will not rob God of his gracious character and nature, just like my kids won't rob me of my gifting them at Christmas and at birthdays. They say, Dad, how much? Uh Uh-uh. You ain't robbing me of my character of being a dad who's going to bless my kids. So I obey not for, I obey because. And I'm not obedient to God, and I'm not living holy, and I'm not living a life worthy of Jesus to get him to bless me. I'm living a holy life because he has blessed me. He doesn't, you don't earn anything from God. No one has ever twisted God's arm or put God in debt. But this is for example, right? This is what we do. Because of what I've done in the past, I feel I'm not deserving of God's blessing. Oh, I get it all the time. We, I, I, people come up for prayer. We believe in miracles, signs, and wonders at my church. We lay hands on the sick. We watch them recover. I have a video right now of a woman. God gave brand new kidneys. Brand, she was about, di- about dead. She don't even come to church. Can you believe that? She got brand new kidneys. She don't even come to church, guys. The only time she came to church was the day God gave her brand new kidneys. I got people in there. They've been Christian 50 years. They ain't getting healed. And they're like, and this is why they say, I don't understand why. It's because you're trying to earn it. You think because you've been a Christian 50 years that you ought to get healed. This woman came saying, well, God's good. Okay. But see, we, or we, we've sinned in the past, and, and, and pastor does an altar call. Pastor wants to pray for the sick. Pastor wants to pray a blessing, a provision of your life and stuff. And you, you don't want to come up and receive it. Why? Because you're thinking about your past. You're, you're thinking about, I, I'm not deserving of that. I haven't done what God's called me to do. I haven't lived up to the expectations God has set or the church has set or whatever it is. I'm not living up to the expectations of my parents or my friends. And so I'm not deserving of that. That's what guilt does is it robs you of the gospel. You never will be deserving of it. Even if you never sin today in your life, you'll never reach a place of saying, I deserve that. Never. Or number two, what it does is if I feel guilty and I'm, I'm guilty of this one. I will try to do some things, some good works to make myself feel better. 
as if I earned or deserved his forgiveness and blessing. You know, I, I, I sinned, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure I tithe doubly this week. Uh, you know, I, I, I sinned and made a mistake, so I'm going to make sure I serve extra. I'm going to show up extra early to church. And, and, and doing good deeds, but with the wrong why. Instead of giving and tithing out of the abundance of the generosity of my heart and to honor and show love and that God, you are my source, I'm doing it to appease my own conscience. I'm giving to appease and sprinkle some clearing on my conscience so I can feel better about myself as I go to bed. Or I sin and so now I'm going to serve and I'm going to serve here and do that. Instead of serving out of a heart of love, out of servants from God to me and serving out of love and serving out of the abundance of my heart and serving out of hope. And you know, if you do the opposite, if you serve from a place of emptiness, if you serve out of a place of trying to merit and earn from God, you will burn out. I'm living proof of that. I burned out. I was trying so hard. Why? Because I had fallen from grace to a merit-based system. Why? Because I allowed guilt to remain. I was stuck in my past, and the guilt of my past kept me locked here. And so I was trying to be my own savior. I was trying to save myself through my works, save myself through good things on the outside. People at church, look at this kid. He just loved Jesus. Not knowing I'm doing it because I sin and I'm trying to earn from God. And now I'm free. I still mess up. We still mess up. But my goodness, there's only one thing and one thing only that will cleanse your conscience. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them in Christ Jesus. You know, the only reason Paul would write that is because he knows y'all are going to sin again. If you weren't going to sin again, there'd be no need to write there's no condemnation. Because why would there be condemnation and guilt if you didn't sin? It's because there will be. And he wants to remind you there's no condemnation not because of anything else other than you are in Christ Jesus. This is why the message of the gospel is too good to be true. Good news. It is such good news. His grace and his forgiveness is so powerful and transformative. Ultimately, guilt will keep your eyes on yourself. It will keep looking at you and what you have done or what you haven't done. But the gospel and his forgiveness takes your eyes off of you and puts them on him. See, I'm not interested in Josh's past. I'm interested in Jesus's past. I'm not interested just in what I've done. I've been there and there's sorrow and shame. I'm interested in Jesus's past and his future. I'm interested in what he has for me. I'm interested in what he's done. Now, here's the thing. It would be foolish of God to forgive you and to promise this past, present, and future forgiveness. It'd be foolish for him to do that and not move you. That's point number four. So we have all moved. See, it'd be foolish for God just to say, I forgive you, but I'm going to keep you where you are, a slave to sin. In the kingdom of darkness, in Adam, in the old man. That would have been foolish because he didn't solve the problem. He just took care of the, the symptom. Isn't that funny? We, we do that all the time. We see the symptoms in others and think we got all the solutions. We judge people based on symptoms. God doesn't do that. He doesn't see the sins you're committing, the symptoms. He sees the deeper issue, that it's an identity issue. It's that you see yourself dirty still. 
You still see yourself with an identity with sin, an identity with Adam, an identity with the old man, an identity with all that was before. And so he's speaking to you today to remind you that you've moved. Not because you had the power to move, but because he moved you. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just his death, it was your death too. You died on that cross with him, and everything that was a part of that old man that was a slave of sin, and a slave of unrighteousness, and a slave to the kingdom of darkness, died that death. But he didn't keep you dead. When Jesus rose on that third day, a new man Scripture says you rose with him. And now you are a new creation. All things are of God. You notice that there's not one thing about who you are that identifies with sin anymore. Romans 6, verse 10, it says, The death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In verse 11, Paul says to this to you, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. I don't identify with sin anymore. I don't identify with guilt and shame, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This word Paul uses to reckon is an accounting word, to add it up, to consider, to count. So I want to reckon with you this moment real quick. In Adam, I was dead, but in Christ, I'm a new creation. In Adam, the old man, I was an heir of sin and death. In Christ, I'm an heir of the spirit of life. In Adam, I was God's enemy. In Christ, I'm God's child. In Adam, I was a slave to sin. In Christ, I'm a slave of righteousness and set free from sin. In Adam, I had no purpose, no hope. In Christ, I'm spirit-filled to fulfill my purpose. In Christ, I'm empowered. In Adam, I walked in darkness. In Christ, I walk in the light and I'm full of life. In Adam, I boasted in myself. In Christ, my boast is Jesus the Lord. In Adam, my confidence was in my own accomplishments. In Christ, my confidence is his accomplishments. In Adam, I was exiled from God's presence. In Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence. In Adam, I had no eternal inheritance. In Christ, I'm blessed with every blessing in heavenly places. In Adam, I was condemned. In Christ, I'm forgiven. In Adam, I was stained with sin and blemish. In Christ, I am cleansed forevermore. In Christ, I live in hope. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. I pray that it blessed you. It's so vital to do life together. That's why I would love to invite you to The Calling Church. Bring a friend. We would love to meet you. Also, stay connected to our church via our website, The Calling Church app, or our social media. God bless you. Thank you.